0: Bring you greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Uh thank you for that prayer, Warren. I feel very needy of that. There's something that that I thought about in our Sunday school lesson and whatever your name is, the teacher there, thank you for doing such a fine job with that. One thing I thought about have thought about over the years is the father and him running you think about the father running to meet his prodigal son? You know, I did some research on that and people, men, didn't run back then. That was for the children or the youth. But dads, once you were considered mature and adult and had children, even today, outside after church, playground, children run. But you don't see dads out there running around. You hardly see it at Bible school. I mean, there's a few brave souls uh, that come on the volleyball court and do their exercises there and they run around trying to get the ball but out running was considered if I can use the same word you use taboo that shows us the seriousness the longing in the father's heart and so that was free I have in my pocket here a coin you showed a coin so now I get to do the same thing There's a reading on that thing that's in most all our coins, and it's four words. It says, in this quarter, it's barely legible, probably because it's an old quarter. It's 1967, which is back before some of you. It says, in God we trust. In God we trust. Now, if I have that in my pocket, does that make me one that trusts in God? The title of my message is Doubtful And I struggle long and hard trying to think of what the Lord would have me speak And there are so many things And maybe to you it sounds rather negative But here's a small, small reading that comes from a Quaker It says an old Quaker got the best of an argument with a young believer Thank you brother with a young unbeliever the young man said that he would not believe in the existence of God he could not see and the Quaker said didst thee ever see France no but others have and my reason allows me to believe France exists based on the testimony of others replied the young man so the Quaker said didst thee ever see thy brains (laughs) of course not Didst thou ever see anyone who has seen them? No, sir. Dost thou believe thou hast any? Put some doubt in his mind. Doubt. And we think, we don't have that problem, or do we? Anybody ever doubt the existence of God? Anybody ever doubt their salvation? Come on, be honest. Pick them up if you're honest you were doubting you have doubted on your salvation I'd like for us to turn to Matthew 14 <coughs> Matthew 1414. 14. Matthew fourteen fourteen. I'm kind of cutting in. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages, and buy themselves victuals. But Jesus said unto them, They need not depart. Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, We have here but five loaves and two fishes. He said, Bring him hither to me. And he commanded the multitudes to sit out on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fishes. And looking to heaven, he blessed and brake, and gave the loaves to his disciples and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat and were filled. And he took up of the fragments that remained twelve baskets full. And they that had eaten were about five thousand men, besides, or not counting, women and children. And the scene changes, but it's right after and straightway verse 22 Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship I don't know if it was all twelve it just says his disciples I'm thinking it was the majority of them and to go before him onto the other side where he, while he sent the multitude away, one of the few times he sent the multitude away, if not the only time verse 23 and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up into a mountain apart. To pray, And when evening was come, he was there alone. Verse 24, But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary, or blowing against the ship. And in the fourth watch of the night, which was toward morning, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. So they were dealing with trouble and fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. Mm -hmm. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of the truth thou art the Son of God. You know, this is the first account Of the disciples worshiping Jesus He turned water into wine He did a host of other things He turned the five loaves and two fishes Into enough food to feed 5,000 plus people Maybe closer to 10 or 12 Fed them all Had a miraculous thing happen The disciples were active in it Gave away all that food What would you have done had you had that job? Amazing Amazing just keep breaking it off and handing it out. If I had two fish and loaves up here and started giving it to you all, you pass it on back and just kept on, just like a factory assembly line. Just keep on feeding it out. And people were all filled, and 12 baskets left. Enough for a lot of lunch food after that. I think that was amazing. But it doesn't say anybody worshiped him. Well, yeah, he's Jesus. We kind of expect it by now, he's done a lot of good things. But when the storm came and fear arose and they were doubtful, and you notice Peter said, let me come out there, and impetuous Peter. He wanted to be on the inside circle. He, Jesus said, well, come on out. And I'm not sure how far away from the boat. I always thought it was two or three feet, but I wonder if it was more like 100 feet out there. And Peter was striding along there, top of water. Wow, this is amazing and the waves were building around him high waves I think and we think sometimes well a foot or two but I like to be impressed here I am like to think it was like 10-12 foot waves going up each side maybe Jesus disappeared a few times and maybe that's when he started doubting oh boy now what do I do and he get a glimpse of him and then he started sinking because fear was a factor and doubt was too he was doubtful and our life is like that. We don't see Jesus, and the waves are high, and we think I'm the only one out here. And then we get a glimpse, and finally Jesus comes close. And some people don't do that, they stand there just screaming, hollering. Nobody likes me anymore. Help, I need help. I read a quote <coughs> not so long ago that a student a student in school when they're going through a test, they're usually silent. Good advice. Instead of belly aching about it, maybe it's best we remain calm and silent. Peter was pretty verbal. It says in verse 30, And beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me! I don't think he said, Lord, save me. I think he bellowed it out pretty loud, if that's the word you use out here. I think he shouted it out. Because the waves were boisterous. You ever been on an ocean when there was a storm of brewing? I had the privilege of going deep sea fishing with a company I had worked with years ago. And, and the storm, it wasn't really a major storm, but it was a lot of wind involved. I mean, it wasn't like thunder and lightning and clouds, but the wind picked up. And that boat started rocking and moving around, and it was noisy. It wasn't only noisy from the wind and the waves, but it was noisy from people going to the side of the boat getting rid of their lunch. It was pretty rough and nasty. And I, thi- I was thinking along that line with this. Uh, It was a noisy thing, so I think Peter shouted it out. Lord, save me, in verse 30. And Jesus caught him and said unto him, and I don't think Jesus was shouting, uh, because he was right there. I don't think Peter was deaf. Peter, what did you doubt? I'm right here. And the storm was still brewing. And, you know, sometimes we think, well, Peter... Was saved there and everything just went calm. But you know it didn't get calm. In, in this account and in, I think Luke's account or maybe it's Mark. Both accounts it says when Jesus stepped into the boat. shoom Everything went smooth. Just calm and smooth as silk. Isn't that amazing? I'd have liked to have been there. I think that changed them men. They worshipped him it says. I don't know how they worshipped him. I don't know if there was room on that boat for all of them to kneel before him or not. But it says in verse 33, they came and worshipped him. And saying of a truth, thou art the son of God. Thou art the son of God. Webster defines doubt this way. To hesitate to believe. To question. Uncertain. Unconvinced. To be distrustful of. To be distrustful of, and you know, I was reading, trying to find how many people in the Bible doubt it, and it's just about all of them. And that, I don't know if it's a good, good thing or not, but it, it made me feel pretty good because I have struggled with doubts, especially, especially when you have issues of life pressing down on it, on on you, on me. Um, there's just like, why, where are you, Lord, in this whole mix? And we struggle to find reason for what's going on. And the Lord just says, why are you doubting? I'm right here. Trust is a reliance on integrity, veracity, to expect, to hope, to believe, is the definition according to Webster. And faith is confidence in the testimony of another. Well, I broke the message down in three parts. Occasions of doubt, sources of doubt, and a cure for doubt. I'm not one that always just has the outline just perfectly, so you can consider yourself uh, blessed because I have an outline. Warren announced that we were from West Virginia, our church is from West Virginia. We actually live, excuse me, We actually live in western Virginia, close to a little town called Monterey. We raise chickens and beef and do some construction when we have time and right now we're working on building a house for ourselves and the accommodations are such that we could we would be glad to entertain you all if you'd come see us. That means you too Warren and your family. Um, our county is very low population. I think there's 23 some hundred people in our county. That's probably this many in, in, uh, in, La- in Lansing maybe. I'm not really sure what your population here, but it's pretty, pretty quiet and we love it. It's between mountains. We're down in a the valley there and um, they call it the little Switzerland of Virginia. Our church is as a crow flies about 12 miles away, but to drive it, it's 28 miles. That tells you a little bit about hills and valleys, and we would love to have you come. The title, the name of our church is Boyer Hill Mennonite, and we have about attendance of 30, 35 or so there, and probably half the congregation are first generation Mennonite, if I can say it that way. Um, we love our church, small, but we have good fellowship. Um, We have the cares and the sorrows that go with it, but we have a lot of joys, too. And I think it... I, I count it a privilege to be a part of the family of God, whether here or there. So, okay, occasions of doubt. When are the times when we doubt the most? first one I have is physical illness. And some of these are pretty practical. I'm not trying to, and I probably don't have them all covered, but I have a few of them. Physical illness, especially if it's long and ongoing. You know of someone that has had a debilitating disease. We have a couple in our church. It's a unique couple. In fact, I'd solicit your prayers for them because she's in the hospital as we speak. But they're both paraplegic, a married married couple. They met in the hospital after their accident. One of them was, well, they were both Paralyzed from about here down, and one was an automobile accident, and I think the other one was a four wheeler. But through some amazing process, she became pregnant, and they had triplets. And they're about 11 years old, but she is dealing with some really hard health issues right now. Infection has set in from some open sores that she had. But before we left, Kit and Cindy is her name. Kit just told me, he said, just please pray for me. He said, this is really hard on my faith. I just have doubts. Does God care about me? It's just so painful. My wife is in the hospital, and I really don't expect her to come out of there alive. Physical illness long and ongoing and the pain don't stop and we doubt the next one close to that is tragedy someone close to us dies and I've heard so many testimonies of people saying well I just don't have anything for God because he took my spouse or my child or uh, my wife miscarried and I just a God would not treat me like that. Should not treat us like that or allow something like that to happen. And they doubt and they and they go backwards in their walk. You know, doubt is not wrong. Doubt is different than unbelief. Unbelief is defying God to his face. Whereas doubt is a lull in the storm, if you will. You get back up and you walk forward remaining in doubt is unbelief can lead to unbelief and that becomes a tragedy third item I have under occasions of doubt is sin you know sin in one's life can cause doubt temptations come and we give in and we blame God because we prayed that prayer. Lead us not unto temptation, but deliver us from evil. So God, you were supposed to keep me from that. And now I've fallen again, and it's no use. I just doubt that your power is strong enough to carry me through. Injustice against us or others is another one. Injustice. And there's a number under this thing of injustice. I know... I've had a hard time to swallow the abortion issue that has come into our country and are really around the world, thinking about of all the children that are aborted. Millions every year are aborted, children. People just throw them away like trash, like they're disposable almost. And we think, God, why are you on that? Or a nursing home at the other end of the age scale. The nursing home, a resident is abused. We've, we sing in a, in a nursing home every fourth Sunday and there's just so many there that are neglected. It's a nursing home that run sponsored I guess by the state some and I'm not sure how it's all run but we sing in those three halls and it's just, it's just sad to see the heartache that some of those residents go through and a lot of them is just from neglect and the abuse. It's just like they're a are number almost. What about refugees fleeing their homes because of war? Or an innocent person is implicated. Have you ever been falsely accused? And you doubt and you doubt some more? Where is God in this? Or maybe it's something really practical, practical and close home, and somebody, some neighbor that's spiteful towards you runs over your pet. There, that serves him right. And you like, Argh. and God, where are you in that? Why did you allow that to happen? Or it could be a fence line issue. Out here, you have a lot of wide open spaces, and I saw a few fences. But what? What really sets some people off if an innocent man is executed unjustly? You hear about it in the news sometimes. They execute a certain person and later on DNA comes along and they find out that he really was falsely accused and he was executed wrongly. And you have to wonder, the person that's sitting in jail or just about to be executed was sitting there all them years, what was going through his mind? Did he doubt I verily believe he probably struggled with it more than some of us would, not having ever been there. And he would cry out, Where is God? Don't you see us? Don't you hear us? Don't you know that their babies are being killed down here? God, where are you at all this? You know, there was a man one time that was executed falsely. In fact, he hung on a cross for some six hours. Falsely. He was beat falsely. He wore a crown of thorns falsely. He died innocent, Mm -hmm. totally innocent in our place scripture says but when we're taking the test the student is silent you know when you read about that account when Jesus went to the cross the thing that really probably has affected me the most in that whole story is how Jesus knew I'm not sure how old he was when he knew but he knew he was going to the cross. And if we, any one of us, would would know that in a week from now authorities will come get us and take us and nail us to a cross and set us up for all the world to see, and we would die there for our faith. What would it be like this morning? Imagine the grief and turmoil, the anxiety, the stress on your mind would be more than your mind could hardly bear. But Jesus knew it. He different times says, I must needs go up to Jerusalem. Uh, Or it's not time to go yet. My time has not yet come. That implies that he knew his time was coming. And that thought, just being in that situation, and the Mental turmoil of all that is just about more than my mind can fathom. Doubt can also come when there's family issues. They can hurt the worst because we're dealing with those closest to us. And I'm not all just talking about your biological families, but church families. Doubts can come in. And that's really what causes some church splits. First thing you know, we we assume and we doubt what somebody said and we pick sides and first thing you know there's this thing going on and every time you have that what do you get out of it? Friction? Debate? i um, just thankful y'all don't have that at this church. Do you? Every church has them. Nobody's exempt from them. I'm telling you. But it's all how you react to it. If you're a prodigal son or if you're the older son, there's a two option thing. There doubt can come when there's economic or financial problems. Maybe you don't have them up here. In our neck of the woods it becomes pretty real sometimes. The poor that we have among us. We think how are we going to make our payments, Lord? The taxes are due, and another hospital bill. The groceries just keep going up and up. And what's going on? Doubt, doubt, doubt. And there's less in God we trust. You know, that's amazing that's still on there. I know people have been trying to take that off, but our forefathers, some forefathers, thought that was important, put it on there. I think they realized the need of it. We have all kinds of natural catastrophes. We have flooding and fires and earthquakes and tornadoes and hurricanes and tsunamis, high winds and more. And we sing the song, Does Jesus Care? A number of years ago, there appeared in the New York Magazine an account of a Long Island resident who ordered an extremely sensitive barometer from a respected company. It gives a name, but I can't pronounce it. When the instrument arrived at his home, he was disappointed to discover that the indicating needle appeared to be stuck pointing to the sector marked Hurricane. After shaking the barometer vigorously several times, which is never a good idea with a sensitive mechanism, and never getting the point to move, the new owner wrote a scathing letter to the store, and on the following morning, on his way to his office in New York City, he mailed it. That evening he returned to Long Island to to find not only the barometer missing, but his house as well. The needle of the instrument had been pointing correctly. The month was September, the year was 1938, the day of the terrible hurricane that almost leveled Long Island. Most of us weren't around at that time, I assume, here. But that was some real doubt. In fact, I think that was more along the line of unbelief. We read Isaiah 12:2 and it says, "I will trust and not be afraid." Pretty simple. Seven letters there, seven words that we can say. Well, that's some of the um, see now, I said I was doing. That's some of the occasions we have doubt. Some of the sources of doubt. Here's the next one, sources of doubt. What is the greatest source of doubt? The devil himself. He came to Adam and Eve. First couple. Half God said, casting doubt on their mind, questioning his word. Half God said. And you know, he didn't stop at the garden. Job comes along and he asks Job the same thing. Suffering Job. Curse God and die, his wife told him. And well, the devil was coming in first on that. It's a good thing Job didn't. Because there we have a pretty prime example of a man that lost not only all his children, all his livestock, pretty much leveled his place. Um, He could have lived on Long Island when that story happened and probably felt right at home. Pretty much lost everything. And he did not curse God and die. Even sitting in ashes and scraping himself with a piece of pottery... Others think that's quite the sterling character of a man called Job. Isn't it amazing? Did not curse God. I mean, he did some complaining, but he never cursed God. Even after his three miserable comforters, which I can't figure out why we've given him that name, because can a a miserable man be a comforter? That's kind of like an oxymoron. It's not possible to have both in the same sentence almost there. Cursing God not only doubts God, but it defies Him. 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, which means careful, alert on your guard, and wide awake. Because your adversary, the devil, same person that was in the garden, same person that Come before the Lord when Job was going getting ready to go through his deal, it says, Because your adversary the devil, what's he like? Anybody want to venture? What is a devil like in that scripture? A lion. What kind of lion? A what? Seeking who may deny but what's the lion doing? Roaring. roaring! <laughs> not a quiet lion. Devil is like a roaring lion. And you know that's kind of a metaphor, not a simile. Well, no, it is a simile, because when you say simile, it has the word like in front of it. If you're is there a school teacher in here? No? Oh yeah, we have one shy one back here in the back. So you can correct me if I'm wrong. But I think a simile is if it says Like a lion, a metaphor, if it doesn't have the word like in front of it, but it says the same thing. I don't know why they had those two words like that. But a lion comes up, quiet like, they have padded paws, they have a way of crouching low so nobody can see them, and they sneak along in the grass, they come up on their unsuspecting prey really quiet, and then they (laughs) dance. And when they pounce, they roar at the same time. And it's said, according to the nature book, the reason they roar is to paralyze the prey. Now, what's the metaphor or like its simile? So what's the simile in this? That's exactly how the devil goes about it. (coughs) Unsuspecting we are. Comes up on us, sneaky like, and trips us up. And why is it we go through the same thing sometimes twice? We think we've learned our lesson and the devil comes and pulls the same trick on us. And I think sometimes we give him too much credit for doing damage to us when it's really we're not walking close to the Savior on this sea that's heaving around and like Peter. oh and I forgot to add this: a lion roar will sometimes paralyze their prey, paralyze the inability to act. as a roaring lion very intent on devouring the Christians commitment to God and our testimony to others, he introduces doubt into the mind. A.W. Tozer said Every other crime touches God's territory But unbelief aims a blow at his divinity Impeaches his veracity Denies his goodness blasphemes his, blasphemes his attributes Maligns his character Another man said Therefore God of all things Hates first and foremost unbelief Whatever it is Belief your beliefs Another man said No it says anonymous so anybody could have said it Believe your beliefs and doubt your doubts. Another source of doubt is the world. The world. And that's like a magnet for a lot of us because we have all that influence around us. And electronic age has brought it even closer into our homes and churches. And we deal with it at our church. We deal it back in the hills. We deal with it out here at Bible school, and I'm sure you deal with it at this church. The electronic age has hit us, and the influence that comes with it. And I, I grew up in an age where we had none of that. But the TV came in before a few years before I showed on, come up on the scene. And I don't really feel like I'm that old. I'm not sure how all that happened so fast. But the TV came in and my dad was adamant that we're not to go to the neighbor's house to watch TV. We go to a store and he was adamant, stay away from that thing, don't watch it. Can't see it. It was an evil, evil, evil thing. And now we pull out this little phone and you can see just about anything you want to pull up on that thing. What's the next generation going to be like? And we have people coming along with another idea that, you know, we think marriage, husband, wife, family is the most ideal, is the Bible way of doing things. It is the correct way. It is the right way. And I have those in my generation grew up in the same church I went to saying, God wants me happy. He don't mind that. I can divorce. And I can remarry. And they list this long list of attributes that they think God would let him come on into glory with that kind of a philosophy. God wants me happy. And me and Jesus. It's me, me, me way up here. And it's not like the prodigal. I have sinned. I've done wrong. I am wrong. One more source of doubt for the Christian is spiritual Immaturity. Spiritual immaturity. James 1.8 says a double-minded or two-faced person is unstable and unreliable in all their ways. Doesn't make for a strong, committed, trusting Christian. Paul declared that when a Christian doubted sound doctrine, it was because they are children in the faith and are easily deceived, according to Ephesians 4.14. You can look at verse up. What is the cure for doubt? My last point. I mentioned doubt let go becomes unbelief. First step to the cure for doubt Confess the doubt to God of sin Because that is sin Cry like Peter did Save me Lord There was another man That really doubted a lot And that was Didymus Who was he? I don't know if that was his middle name or his first name, but one of his names with it, and this was, was Thomas. He doubted Jesus' resurrection. Let's turn to John 20. John 20. Starting at verse 24, I believe it is. 24 through 29. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus... The door being shut and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. He said that one time before. It was just before or while the storm was raging in one of the other gospel accounts when he walked up to the boat. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. And reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God Jesus saith unto him Thomas And this is for us Because thou hast seen me Thou hast hast believed Blessed are they that have not seen And yet have believed We're blessed We are blessed today if we believe Because we haven't seen his sides And his hands And his feet That were pierced Not yet not yet, but there's a day coming, and I can't hardly wait. Verse thirty says, "In many other signs, truly did Jesus, in the presence of his disciples, which are which are not written in this book, but these are written that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, ye may ye may have life through his name. Believing, and that brings me to the second point: the cure for doubt. Which is in, I just read part of it, and that is study the evidence for the Christian faith. We have the resurrection of Christ. You will not find any obituary anywhere with Jesus' name in it, it's not there. He rose, He's at the right hand of the Father. We have post resurrection experiences in the Bible, it transformed His disciples. And by the way, since his resurrection is true, it validates everything else that happens with his disciples. Not only with Thomas here and putting his hand in his side, but everything else that happened. First is confess it. Second, study it. Third, make certain of our salvation. Hebrews 6, I'd like to turn that, verses 1 through 12. Hebrews 6, verses 1 through 12. Talking about maturity. Wherefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, and this will we do if God permit. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, have tasted of the heavenly gift, or were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. If they shall fall away to renew them again and to repentance, seeing they have crucified themselves, they, they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Sounds like doubtful people for the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off to bonnet and bringeth forth herbs, meet for them by whom it is dressed receiveth blessings from God, but that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected is nigh unto cursing whose end is to be burned but but, beloved, be, we are persuaded better, better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed unto his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. And we declare that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope to the end, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises." Study your word. Be diligent. Make certain of your salvation. The fourth goes parallel with that. Study the Bible faithfully, consistently, daily. It will remove doubt like nothing else will. You know, this Bible is the only book that has lasted throughout the ceaseless ages of time itself. And Jesus said his word will stand forever that should remove all doubt it is the only book we can live by and have peace by the last one I have is prayer and there's a lot of scripture for that prayer works sometimes and I was mentioning earlier we cry out to God you know God why this why that and our doubt seems pretty high on the list God hears us his word tells us he hears us and when we're going through the test, sometimes it's good just to remain quiet. May the Lord bless you as you continue to work in this part of his vineyard. May he keep you in your diligent, diligence to serve him. He bless you as he you raise your children for him. The next generation is fast coming on, and we are fast moving off the scene. <laughs> it's just amazing to me how time so fastly flies. I, just, and yeah, it's, I know you young people can't understand why old people keep saying that kind of stuff, but your day is coming. Shall we pray?